Okay. <clears throat> we'll start a new subject tonight because um, I, th I think we finished uh, the state, didn't we? Enough, government and Christians and all that. Um, if, if we haven't, you can still, anybody's free to bring anything up they want as far as questions, but I think we'll, we'll at least shift um, to a, our next subject. So <clears throat> let's um, start with prayer. Father in heaven, we're grateful to you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you do not leave us or forsake us, that you are with us through everything that we go through in any given day. We thank you for bringing us here tonight. We pray that you would bless our time together and help us to learn uh, how best to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> what I want to look at tonight is a major um, arena, I guess you'd say, for ethics, um, ethic, ethical rules and so forth. Um, and I originally, I, I just put, you know, in reading different ideas of ethical stuff for Christians, um, one of them was gambling. Okay, and it, well, gambling opens up the whole issue of money, period. And money is a monumental uh, ethical issue. Um, it's one of the most frequently mentioned subjects in the Bible. Um, there's a huge amount everywhere in Scripture about um, possessions, money, um, riches or lack thereof, so forth. Um, how, how, to, how are we to treat wealth? Um, this to me is <clears throat> kind of a difficult one, okay? A lot of ethical things, ethical rules, are things that we avoid. And that's basically all the further we go. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't participate in this. Not as Christians in this society. Okay? That's about all the farther we go into it. Um, there are a few subjects, I think, that are similar to money. But money, um, you can't live without it. Even Jesus recognized that it was necessary. He said, your heavenly Father and Sermon on the Mount... Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So he doesn't say, you don't need this, you don't need the money to purchase them. He knows you have to have it. Okay? Money itself is never sinful. It's not sinful in and of itself. Being rich isn't sinful. But money, though it is absolutely necessary, it's also, the Bible is packed with warnings about its potential effect on us, that it can be, well, I think we're safe to say that um, money's dangerous. I think God would say that. Um, and the, the frequent warnings 
um, against letting it get a hold of my heart are evidence of that it's, though it's necessary, um, it is something to beware of, okay? Um, <clears throat> it's also, money is a pretty good indicator our attitude towards it and our use of it is a good indicator, good barometer of our character, what's important to us. Where does God stack up in the list of priorities? Um, a further thought on money is I don't know, Jesus could have chosen any number of competitors to him but in the Sermon on the Mount again he he says you either serve God or you serve money so he counts apparently a chief competitor for the affection of the human heart between him and money so this is a further evidence of the potential danger in it. <clears throat> Again, it seems contradictory. We have to have it. And let me throw something else out here. God gives us the gifts, the, the abilities, the drive to gain money and to gain wealth. Now, especially in the Old Testament, not every case, but it was largely treated as a, a sense of God's favor. Abraham, Job, you know, who, whoever. Um, that God blessed people, his, his people, um, with outward wealth, okay? Um, that is not necessarily such in the New Testament as much. But Moses said, in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, it's God. Basically, he's telling them, credit God with everything, everything you have, everything you get, so forth. He said, it's God, he said, who gives you the power to get wealth. But there again, he didn't say to avoid it, have nothing to do with it. He still warned against placing our heart on it. But this is, giving us power to get wealth is, is beyond the basic necessities. So th there's, some, um, there's some balancing, I think, that we have to do um, on this whole issue. Um, so <clears throat> let me maybe start with... Um, maybe just asking you to, what are some of the dangers? What do you think um, are some of the dangers of, that can come with money? And especially, I suppose, in, in a culture like we have, um, where we're affluent. Um, I can't remember, I've heard statistics till you can't keep track of them. But I think, I think I, it's been a while, but, something similar to 
this report. If you have a few coins on the, you know, nightstand or uh, chest or drawers, you're richer than 98% of the people in the world. Um, Here's another thing though. Um, You can love money and not have any. You know what I mean? It's not just rich people. Not every rich person loves money. You don't have to be a lover of it and obsessed over it if you have some. Uh, On the other hand, you can be dirt poor and love it fiendishly. You just never get any. Um, So the amount you have isn't necessarily an indication of your attitude toward it. Okay, um, so <clears throat> what are some of the dangers? Yeah. Well, if you, you know, the world um, defines success. Absolutely, yeah. having stuff, having yeah. money. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with success if you're a Christian. You know, if you're a Christian, you want to be spiritually wealthy. So yeah. people can be wealthy. <clears throat> And yeah, and, and it's also a declaration, really, whether they say it or not, of dissatisfaction with what God has given them. Uh, just today, reading, you know, doing some background reading on all this, uh, a good question was posed: As a Christian, can you be happy with less money than you wish you had, or, or as little as you have? Do you need? a surplus to be happy. There's something wrong with you. If my happiness is based on money or the lack thereof, and so there is no happiness, um, that, gets to, that gets to the business of being able often to tell what's in a person's heart, what their deep down value system is um, from there. You can read it from their attitude toward possessions. Uh, A.W. Tozer made a good, he, he's got a little tract, a little uh, chapter. Uh, I think it's called Five Vows for Spiritual Victory. And one of them was vow to own nothing. Now he didn't mean you can't have a car, you can't, but he goes to, he's gone to explain that owning it in the sense he meant it is really that it owns me. Um, it possesses me. And when, you, when we get to that, you can't have spiritual victory because the truth is, I have something ahead of God that I favor. Um, in fact, let me throw this in. This is, this is just free and it's, it's good forever on other subjects. <clears throat> What's the word in the Bible that we, we just take it in the Greek um, that we'll use as Christians for love? 
Anybody? Agape. Pardon me? Agape. Agape. Okay. Now, uh, this is a trick question. What, is, what do you think the literal um, word translation of agape um, is? What's agape's translation into English? You might think, well, love, right? Sacrifice. No. Perfect. No. Can be. But when it's, you know, when it's a, with a, a different word, um, actually, agape, prior to the New Testament, was a really weak word. And it's only the New Testament writers took this weak word, agape, or um, agapeo, and made it into a deep, strong word. But the word it originally meant, and it still retains some of this, preference. Now, when you think about it, I prefer this over that, is a weak expression. It's kind of like, well, I can take it either way. I prefer that, but, I, you know, whatever. But the writers in the New Testament not completely getting rid of that meaning of preference elevated that to divine kind of love but it means priority i prefer first god i love god more than this 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 doesn't mean i don't love this at all but i prefer my preference is god and so that seemingly weak word was elevated to, to really mean preeminence, where I love God more than anything else. So um, we, we can tell what people prefer by how they react to money, how they use money, you know, really, you can expand it. We can tell what people prefer by what their conversation seems to always find its way to. Um, trivial stuff versus the things of God. Um, you can tell what Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and what I am preoccupied with and what I prefer is what I converse about. Does that make sense? <clears throat> um, so, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, says you cannot love, and there again, he uses the word prefer. You can't prefer two masters. The word prefer won't allow for that. Because prefer elevates one above everything else. You cannot prefer two masters. He said you will prefer the one and hate the other one. Cling to the one, let go of this one. Then he narrows it down or applies it to 
your everyday life says you can't love God and mammon is, you know, the King James, um, which is the whole world of possession, of chasing riches, of um, sacrificing virtually everything else for money. And there again, you can tell, you can tell what a person's, what's important to somebody by how they, they view money. Other, um, what are other maybe dangers and or symptoms of dangerous attachment to possessions? Pardon me? Yes. One, there are, there are kind of four P's. We'll see if you can guess them or not. Um, but that power, power is one of the things that the world views money is the avenue to it. If I have money, w- um, power comes with that. And that's, in the world, that's accurate. If you've got money, you almost automatically have, you have power, okay? Um, What else? Pardon me? Yes. Um, Pride, position, prestige, you know what I mean? Um, Money is, we're told, money will purchase that. So power, um, pride, some of these will overlap. Um, position, um, I'm not going to get you know, off into politics, but um, lately it seems like every time you turn around you're reading about some district attorney somewhere who is, they would say, was backed by George Soros in the last election, okay? And what is the backing? Money. To pay for ads and whatever else. And really, you know, um, George Soros and people like him aren't really the problem. You know who the real, really the problem? All that's going on in our country, all the griping and all of the you know, we're collapsing and what's going on here and the, the you know, the crazies, you know, and the few normal people left. The bottom line is, what kind of voters can be bought with a bunch of money to a bunch of ads? You know what I'm saying? The voters are the dunces. I mean, we have to face it. Just because they're, we vote because of somebody's personality or, you know, their, uh, their um, appearance, their, um, you know, how, what, down to earth, whatever that's supposed to mean. There's, there's virtually nothing mentioned ever about character, about competence, about... Um, Decency, you know, values, um, honesty, integrity. Those aren't there. 
And then we say, that lousy George Soros. Well, he's a lousy guy. I mean, lousy just doesn't even mention how bad he really is. But he's just tapped into the moronism of the voter who will vote, well, he's had the most ads, I guess. I'll. Um, that's why, <laughs> that, by the way, that's why Churchill said <clears throat> democracy is a terrible government. But the others, he said, are so far worse. <laughs> um, actually, um, in the Bible, wherever you see, occasionally you'll see the world, uh, see the word that would be similar to democracy is, is people rule. And the inference is chaos. But that it's not good. Um, that it's too... Um, fickle but anyway um, there's a pursuit then of pride prestige so forth power that money will give you those money will buy position for you there's one more and that and that is money will always produce pleasure or happiness which is a lie you, we've all read the stories of people who win the lottery or whatever um, and how they are, they're miserable. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're dogged by relatives and long lost high school friends, you know, from 50 years ago and people, you know, dunning you to death for contributions. And most people, most people can't handle it. And you know what? Um, one of the reasons that God doesn't give very many Christians lots and lots of money is he knows that he, the, it's not good for him. He's, we think he is maybe withholding us from us and being rather, um, you know, um, just skinflint, but he's not. He's saving us. He's, he's very likely saving us. <clears throat> now, um, let's see here. Well, <clears throat> another thing, of course, um, money is used to just promote, promote our own image of herself. Um, Jesus talked about the rich man who said, uh, wh you know, what can I do? My barns are completely full. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my old barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. And I am going to fill them with all the produce of my fields. And he said, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, take your ease. You know, you're, it's fat city. And of course, Jesus said, you fool. Tonight, your soul's going to be required of you. And then whose is all this going to be that you've gathered because you can't take it? Then he makes an interesting statement. He says, so is the person who is rich in this world's goods, but he said, not rich toward God. That's an interesting word, but you're not rich toward God. And the word there is interesting um, 
I guess I haven't looked at a lot of other versions on it. <clears throat> but the King James, New King James, if you say, is not rich toward God. It literally means what fills your sails. That's what he, what he means. That what fills your sails and drives you in the direction you should go is not God. And your, your sails need to be filled <clears throat> with God. The love of God, the pursuit of God, the enjoyment of God, <clears throat> and the service of God. Now, <clears throat> um, back to um, Tyler, to something you said, you know, about having power over people. James talks about that. Paul talked about it. He said, James specifically said, do not rich men oppress you as Christians. They take you to court. And it's when he was saying, rich men come into your congregation and you, you direct them to sit at the most prominent seat. Well, we don't have seating arrangements like the Jews did in the synagogues. That's what he's talking about. Um, but we do, have, we do have boards, you know, governing boards. And... I'm not going to get off the subject here, but um, <clears throat> I've been I've been on boards, both denominational boards, international missions boards, um, and this is usually the makeup. There's <clears throat> three or four, depends on how big the board is, but there's four or five, whatever. Preachers, you gotta give some kind of religious, you know, air to the thing, and then you've got a bunch of, um, you know, high roller businessmen. They're ostensibly Christian, okay, but they're really on the board because they can they can be they can spearhead the fundraising. And they'll dip into their own pockets. And so that's why they're there. I've served on a bunch of boards just like that where I'm looked at and all the other preachers are looked at as, yeah, okay, they can pray the benediction for the board meeting or maybe they can bring the devotional. But the real power and the real decision-making and the real, you know, is the so-and-so's. I'll just throw, nobody's going to hear this, maybe. <laughs> you, ever seen a you ever seen a bus with a bluebird on it? Okay. Huge company. One family owned it. And <clears throat> they were, I served on a board with a couple of them. And they were there, not because they were godly. Oh, they went to church every Sunday, you know, some dead Methodist church. But they were, you know, they were the behind-the-scenes guys, the meetings that you have before the meeting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, there's always a pre-board meeting before the board meeting. 
And, of course, the preachers never get invited to those because we're just dolts and we don't know what we're doing. Um, and, then, you know, major decisions made because they got the money. They make a motion, it's going to pass. Um, James warned about that, but we don't listen. Anyway, um, money then is used to oppress, even in the church, it's used to get your way. Um, I've, I've had the privilege, though, I've got to tell you this. Um, in the churches I've been in, I've had some pretty wealthy people, and not one of them ever I think people halfway knew it, but they never threw the weight around. They, they gave quietly. Their left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. They didn't push some pet project in the board for the very fact they thought, you know, people might feel intimidated because I, you know, have a lot of money and a big company or whatever. And so they wouldn't say anything. God loves people like that. That's what he meant when he said, you know, don't ring, you know, blow a trumpet or ring a bell like the Pharisees do before they put their offering in. Isn't that nuts? They would do that. When you think about that, um, if we did that here in church, <laughs> you know, maybe we'd have some way back here to boxes. They could scan your check, and if it's a really big one, you know, there'd be bright lights going. Or something. I mean, it's insane that they would do that. Yet Jesus pointed that out. He said, you guys blow trumpets when you're about to drop your money in the treasury at the temple. It's hard to believe people were that crass, but I guess they were. Anyway, <clears throat> um, shifting a little bit, somebody define for me, what's the word that God usually uses um, in the New Testament regarding money and our use of it and so forth? Anybody? You're going to know it as soon as somebody says it. Stewardship. Um, somebody defines stewardship for me. Now, maybe not a dictionary definition, but what, what's the um, word picture, I guess you'd say, behind that word stewardship? Responsible caretaker. Okay. Responsible caretaker. The word itself means house law. It means ma the management rules of the house. And it refers to um, a caretaker, a steward, who is appointed to run the affairs of an estate for the owner. Okay? So he's not serving himself. He's serving the owner, and it's the owner's property and possessions that he is managing that's closest to us as Christians we recognize God gave us everything and he's just put it in our hands to manage at his direction that's why we ought to be careful to pray and get God's direction for what to give at times when we have projects, buildings, missions, needs, whatever. Let God say to us, 
I want some of that that I put in your wallet. And don't fret. I know how much is there, and I know how much you're going to need, and I can get more in there. Um, it's a matter of, of faith. Will God take care of me or not? The, the, the widow's mite, remember, she put two pennies in. And Jesus said she put in all, even her living. But what's, what's the key thing about that? He saw it. He knew about it. Was he going to let her starve? No way. Here's another, reminded of another thing about as Jesus looks at us, and we've got to be careful on all these. You can get too extreme. But Jesus judged our giving based on what we had left, not the amount we gave. You understand? We, uh, we had a, in my last church in, or in uh, Indiana, had a well-to-do, very, very well-to-do real estate developer throughout the country, really. Um, <clears throat> and I think the van, the church van died or something. So we you know, just mentioned, hey, we're going to have a, the quickest fundraiser we could get here. And I think we needed 15000 I can't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, um, this guy could have bought us a fleet of vans, you know. And um, so anyway, he came up, he came up and he, and he wrote, wrote a check in the back of the foyer and handed this check to me. It was $5,000, which, you know, I wasn't picking at him for it. Um, it. But it wasn't like, Man alive, how'd you scrape that up? You know, that was lunch money to him. Um, the church had cleared out pretty much. I was kind of turning out lights. And this woman came up to me. And she had heard all that. Um, and she handed me a check um, for $100. And I took it back to the treasurer and the office. And I cried on the way back to the office because that was her living. She was, she was on welfare. Just a rat of a husband. Um, Troubled life, but she loved God and she held steady and she was at church, you know, every time the doors open. And I looked at that hundred dollars and I, I, tears came to my eyes and I prayed. I said, Lord, you know, this is way more than so and so just gave, because he gave out of his abundance. She gave out of her very living. Um, God just doesn't think like we think, um, and. Of course, he sees he sees her heart. Um, now, here's one other thing I want to say about God and stewardship. Um, and you know what i I have been I don't know why I've been this fortunate, but my first church in Oregon. Um, Second church, 
let's I've I've had basically four churches. If you here and here, I don't know. I guess do we call it five or anyway? But I've been to four towns to pastor in my entire life. Oregon City. Then I went to a little place called Sturgis, Michigan. I was there only two years and ten months, but I got sent there. It was a real it was a real um, compliment to me because the the little church that was there had voted to close. <laughs> and so they sent me there. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was assignments you didn't get voted on, and the superintendent told you, I, I need you to go to that church. So we moved from Oregon all the way to Michigan, never been to Michigan in our lives, um, never been in a little town in our lives, moved back there to try to keep the thing open. And... God was good to us and helped us. And we, you know, got a, they just had a pole barn for a building. Um, and no parsonage, no, it was just really down, down on its heels. And God helped us. And um, we, you know, got it on, it got on its feet and made it. Um, and then, so I figured God knew Liz and I loved Oregon and that we loved Oregon, and that we loved Oregon, <laughs> okay? And we were in Michigan, but we loved Oregon. <laughs> and so I was sure, you know, I've done my time. This was two years and 10 months in solitary confinement. You know what I mean? It was in the hole. It was a tough place. And, but we knew God was gonna send us back to Oregon because he liked us. Well, we got sent to Anderson, Indiana. Um, which was a harder church than the one we'd just left in Sturgis. Um, they couldn't pay anything. It was just tough. But um, <clears throat> God gave, there were some good people there, and um, people got some help spiritually. And anyway, so then I went to Anderson for 12 years, um, and Anderson was where my father had been there, and then I went back to just spend the summer with him and um, was going to college um, from Oregon. And I said, well, I'll go home for the summer to where my parents are. So I go there, find out about Anderson University, which is Church of God Anderson denomination. as good, good college. And um, just felt prompted to go to school, you know, transfer and go to school there, finish up there. So I did. Um, Anderson was nicknamed Little Chicago, okay? That gives you an idea. It was steeped in crooked, corrupt, Democrat government, unionized to the hilt, United Auto Workers. It was, man, it was tough. And so when we moved to Oregon, um, got out of college, um, we were in Anderson, Okay, Liz and I had been married two years, and I finished up in Anderson. We were heading to Oregon to go to seminary. And at, we were on uh, US 32 westbound at 600 West County Road, where I said, driving in a little hopped-up bug, VW, I looked at Liz and I said, 
we will never set foot in this rat hole again. <laughs> that was 19, that was 1973, okay? And it wasn't until 1985, no, 1988 that I set foot in that rat hole again <laughs> and was there 12 years. Probably shouldn't say that. I, I've avoided that since. Um, <clears throat> then I came here. My first church and this church are the best <clears throat> I've ever pastored and the best as far as generosity, faith, um, rising to a challenge, sticking with it, um, loving God, loving people. Um, I, I look at us and I see um, my first church and this one. A difference was a genuine sense, among other things, of stewardship. This is not ours. We work for God. We will, we will sacrifice for God. He can have whatever he wants. We're, we're here for God. You can't, you can't describe the difference in a church that has that as their core value and one that doesn't. And I learned a lot, of course, um, about stewardship <clears throat> in this sense, and I'm being a little sarcastic. Stewardship is a word that always gets dragged out by the skin flintiest guy on the board when he doesn't think we ought to spend any money. Well, we're going to be a better stewards of God's money. The point is, yeah, it's God's. It isn't yours. And what I always told people, don't talk to me about stewardship because an aspect of stewardship is you manage it for the owner and you manage it according to his financial philosophy and behavior, not yours. You know, you know what I mean? We can say, what, and literally, um, I've had people, they drive, <laughs> well, there's one family that um, they, they had plenty of money. They drove, they would drive a county over because bananas were two cents less a pound than they were in Anderson. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's insane. And, you know, I'd always joke about, you know, there'd be a cloud of fruit flies falling him over into the, you know, next county and back. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, we could end up, we could find, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, we had a big property that we had to mow and keep up, all of it. Um, and <clears throat> so we were looking at a mower that clear back then was $10,000. But it's what we had to have. And we had six acres we had to keep just like a golf. I mean, it was in town, so we couldn't let things grow. And we, I don't know, it was a, a Christian that owned this company in town that sold mowers. And they, he told, I can't remember what we got. But it was just an ass, unbelievable cut that he gave us. Said, I'll sell it, you know you're good people and I'm a believer and so I sell it for this. It was like half. I mean, it was unheard of. And this 
family, this husband and wife, uh, one of them on the board, I, I know a place, I know a guy over in Ohio, <clears throat> and I know we can get one cheaper over there. It may not be this brand, but we can get cheaper. And stewardship's important, and we're not being stewardships if we're spending that much money. Um, that kind of stuff I haven't had to deal with for a long time. It makes me real happy, okay? But it irks me. Um, when I do hear that, God is not a cheapskate. He's never been a cheapskate. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. He sometimes gives us just enough, but it's always enough. Others, he loads us daily with benefits. God is generous. And I really think that um, the love of money that produces my, uh, miserliness is far away from God's nature. He's not like that. A um, couple examples. <clears throat> He's not wasteful. But he told the Israelites, this gives you an idea of God. One thing, of course, he did was you, we, you loaned your neighbor, and in six years, he goes out free. Every six years, the debts were canceled. And so you could end up out some money. God said, so what? I'll take care of you. Then he said, smaller things. Don't go over the limbs of your olive tree twice. You shake them once. What falls off, you take home with you. Don't try to go over it a second time. Those will get ripe. And the poor among you will come and glean from that and they'll have enough to eat. Don't, don't you do that. And then he said, if you come into the barn and you realize you've left a sheaf of wheat out in the field, he said, don't go get it. Leave it, he said, for the poor and the gleaners. And, he, and every time after he says, and the Lord will bless you. The Lord will bless you. He loves well, he says he loves a cheerful giver. He loves us not to be lovers of money to where we, we will we'll give it away. It's God loves generosity. You know, I think most of you know the word there. He loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful, cheerful is literally translated hilarious. A hilarious giver. And a more easy to understand, literally means, it, it can be translated, basically, you give like a drunken sailor. You give like somebody that's drunk. That's what God said, I want you to be like that. Because I'm like that. Now, <clears throat> um, what are then what do you, what does it seem that God's general um, commands to us regarding possessions uh, are? What kind of priorities does he set for us in the use of our wealth or possessions or 
whatever. Anybody? For the Christian, what's to be what's to be the 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 first gift? Yes. And technically, and he doesn't, he's not hard to deal with. But I'm not giving him anything when I give him 10% because he said, he's so sad, that's mine, that he said, if you don't give it to me, you're a thief and will a man rob God? Even God was amazed (laughs) at that. Um, And the thing is, if you don't give it up front and you dawdle around and stall and, well, make it up next week, next week doesn't, it doesn't work. I was raised, you know, you tithe. And what mo- money I made as a kid mowing grass or you know, whatever else. And then when I got older and made, you know, you, you tithe. I didn't even think about it. So, um, <clears throat> But, you know, even I wasn't, totally where I ought to have been spiritually. So, you know, if I got $17 and, you know, um, 50 cents, I was, you know, I would tithe, what would that be? $1.75 or $1.80 or something. No way in the world is going to round it up to two bucks. You know what I mean? Um, You tithe. When I finally really got saved, and it stuck. Um, within a week or so, I was gone, left Eugene, went back to um, Iowa to uh, this Bible college, and um, immediately got a job. And I still remember, I worked for two weeks, and I got paid $55, okay? Well, I was making probably more money than most of the kids in the school that worked. Uh, Liz, I met her, that's mainly why God sent me there. But she was working at the egg factory, okay? It was stunk, and it was wet, and it was cold, and these eggs would come along, and they'd go over lights, you know, and the light shines up, and it, it illuminates the inside of the egg, and you can see whether there's, you know, it's rotten, or there's a chick, or whatever. And so you stand there, and it's bad. Um, and they were making, like, dollar seventy five, two dollars an hour. I think I was making like four dollars an hour, which was just I mean, it was astronomical. I was up with the Rockefellers. Um, and I was cleaning, I just had to sweep out and clean the Iowa Power and Light substation where all the offices of the workers were and the you know, whatever. <clears throat> so I get paid my first check and I got fifty five dollars. Well I was downtown, typical little 4,000 town Iowa farm community and they had the, the city square you know there's a gazebo and a band you know the town band would play every once in a while and um, there was a clothing store shoe store there and <clears throat> they had a nice pair of cowboy boots there and they were $52 still remember $52 okay which really was a lot of money but I, I needed them. And I couldn't get them and tithe on the 55. Because that would take away 
you know, I'd have to give what, whatever that is. And I couldn't do both. I couldn't tithe and buy the cowboy boots. And I had to have the cowboy boots. Um, so I resolved, okay, I'll just double up next, next paycheck, I'll, I'll double up. I'll go ahead and get the boots because they're really important. And then when I get paid next week, you know, I'll tithe $10, whatever it was, um, or $11. Well, by the time I got to next week, I had to buy books and I had to do this and that. And I, I didn't, I couldn't do it. Well, I, <laughs> God let me off the hook. I, I just prayed. I said, Lord, you know, this is a bad way to start out from getting right finally um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'll promise you here, I'll make this up when I can, but from now on, the first thing off the top, I don't care what, is my tithe. And I've done that ever since and haven't gotten in a hole. Um, next, God expects us to be uh, reasonable, and I can't define reasonable for you, but the reasonable care and support of ourselves and our families. Paul said, if you don't provide for your family, you are, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. And he told the church, don't, you make people like that take care of their own families so you can take care of the widows and the people who are truly alone and have no one to help them. But he was very hard, and that's in the same passage where Paul says, if you will not, not can't, if you will not work, you should not eat. Okay? Um, so God expects us, within reason, to you know, pay the bills and take care of our families and the normal experiences and expenses of life. Um, then... Beyond that, we are to, as close as we can, give, Paul said, support those who are of the household of faith first. Help the poor, he said, but especially those that are the household of faith. We pretty much operate like that here. We have, uh, we have a pretty decent benevolence line item in the budget. Um, and God's been very good to us. We've never had to send anybody away. But we have a policy that we want to make sure that we've taken care of our own people if we're aware of needs they have. Before we take care of you know, somebody coming through here with some story that we can't check out, um, and you know what? You don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. But I could be here literally for one more hour with the wildest stories we get from people. You know, it's, it's amazing, the, the stories people make up. Uh, but at any rate, um, Paul, I think, gives a priority there. Take care of people that God brings across your path, but especially the household of faith. Then there is, beyond that, there is missions giving, 
um, other work of the kingdom of God. Um, we're to bring the tithe into the storehouse. That's the church. Um, that's don't take your tithe and send it off to Joel Osteen. You send anything to him, that's another whole story. But um, the tithe belongs here. Then offerings, which are of the 90 that's left, um, whatever God lays on our hearts to do, we do. We support sending the kids on mission trips, support missions through the church. Um, I think those are good um, order of priority um, to have. Reckless, wasteful, self-centered, spending um, will be judged for. You realize that Jesus gave quite a few parables that dealt with money. And, you know, the one of the talents, that's money. So we'll be, we'll be judged as stewards. Stewards get called to account periodically. And so God's going to pay attention to that. Now, I'm going to quit and try to balance some things here. Um, Don't, you know, God does not want us to get ourselves into positions that we're, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the Bible is really filled with the business of don't get yourself into debt. An unethical thing is to borrow that you, with a chance you aren't even going to be able to pay it back. Um, that's a Christian ethical lapse uh, to do that. Um, do you know, too? Um, since we're talking about money, I'll ask you this question, which would, should be easy to answer. What's the number one thing people fight about in marriages that come into the, um, sit across my desk? Money. That's the number one thing. And usually it's at least one, maybe two, people that are selfish. You know, you're, you're skimping by, you're barely making it, and, but I got to get a new, you know, $1,500 Rifle, I want one. Um, I won't get too far. <laughs> but selfishness, foolish use um, <clears throat> of what God does put into our hands. Selfish use. That's where, too, um, the ethical issue of the whole business of gambling. Um, now, I remember, I remember, we've had people here that if I've said something about gambling, and specifically going over to Deadwood or whatever, I've had people get mad and quit. Well, I'm still right, <laughs> okay? You don't have any business over there. Um, the, only, the only good thing ever happened over there is Wild Bill got shot. <laughs> um, Got it in the back of his head. Uh, anyway, um, Christians don't belong in that whole world, wherever it is. I don't understand people that, um, I just don't understand people wanting to go into that arena. The, you know, the gaudy, bright, flashing lights, the music, the, it's, it's just, 
It's ridiculous. Uh, Jesus doesn't know his way around there. Okay. Um, all the, all the, one of the things that bothers me lately, and it's really been, seems very lately, is the immense amount of advertisement about sports betting. I mean, I think everybody's been seeing that. Um, that's unethical. Christians don't have any business doing that. It's a wasteful, and, and, and let me, I don't know if anybody here would even think of this, and then I will shut up. But people say, well, you play the stock market, you're gambling. Just No, you're not. That's a bogus argument. It's nonsense. There's a reasonable hope of a return because there's a history of that stock or whatever the case is or that mutual fund or whatever, and it is not the same thing, so just knock it off as far as saying, well, you know, so what if I spend a couple dollars on whatever? They did a study in Indiana where Indiana has always been anti-gambling. But when we were still living there, um, they put in a lottery. And, and, of course, you know what the lottery goes for. Education. And they don't see a dime of it. Um, but after a few years, they did a study that the predominance of the people that were buying the lottery tickets and never winning... The average income was $19,000. That's what they were making. So it's the poverty-stricken, below-the-poverty-line people that are buying these lottery tickets anyway. They never win. They keep doing it. And then they end up, they never can get out of the rut of, well, Maybe they win just enough that they, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Or somehow, if I just keep doing it, I have to win at some point. <clears throat> All of that is, has always been considered, even by the secular government, a vice. It's always been considered a vice. Now today, of course, nothing's a vice. But um, it was always, you know, gambling drinking, you know, whatever else, was always considered the vices. But now, the, it's, everything's open to whatever you want to do. Um, ethically, then, money is a huge, huge um, area that God pays attention to, that we will give an account for. And when we, Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. Now, he doesn't mean don't have a bank account, don't own a car. We can get crazy. But we're going to, he said, you lay up your treasures where rust doesn't corrupt. Now, right now, I don't know how good um, 401k is. Um, that disappears. <clears throat> but um, at any rate, God pays attention to how we use our money what our purposes are for it. And I'm, I've, I'm not quite done, so I'll, we'll look next week at some of the, what would we call them? Some of the boxes we could check to check ourselves to see what our attitude towards possessions really are. And some barometers to um, kind of a checklist. And then some balance um, about 
God blessed Abraham, blessed a lot of people, gave them a lot, and there's nothing. It's like people saying, then, then I will quit. Money's the root of all evil, right? No. It's the love of it. And if you can have it without your soul becoming so attached to it that it, you drift from God, I say God will give you all. He doesn't mind making you rich, okay? If you don't love it. Okay, um, let's go ahead and pray. And then I want you to just think, <clears throat> I want you to think through next week um, some of the, maybe the other side of not loving money, of having it, and what, um, what God would have us do if he does give us the gift to make money. He clearly does that. In fact, you know that hospitality, generosity, giving are in the list of the spiritual gifts. So he clearly doesn't have a problem with it. It's just if we have a problem with it. Okay, Father in heaven, we pray that you would, in this big area that the Bible has an awful lot to say about, that we would understand the boundaries, the balance, that you are not, you are not a skin flint. You're generous and you love to give good gifts to your children. And give us a balance then. Help us be like you are in how we deal with possessions. Go with us, I pray. Keep us safe tonight. Bless the work that's gone on in all the different rooms of the building tonight seed sown may it take root and grow in jesus name amen